Uh, Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life, one of the most popular books on faith in the last several years. He's a pastor in California. He also has a lot of uh, influence in politics. He was the spiritual advisor to President George W. Bush. He led prayer at the inauguration of President Obama. So he's had quite an impact. He also has a large outreach to help out in different places in Africa. And just well-known minister and author, spiritual leader. His wife overcame cancer a few years ago. But very tragically, what many don't know is three years ago, his son, very depressed, took his own life. And Rick Warren, after several months away from the public eye, came back and he and his wife shared something about how they dealt with going through that time of just very, very dark, dark times. I'll share what they had to say about that here in just a few moments. Let me share something George Barna said about church attendance. He said this, he said, each week, 110 million people go to church somewhere in America. Let me put that into perspective. If you take all the people who ever have gone to a basketball game, football game, baseball game, tennis match, or any public sporting event, and you added them all up in a single year, you would not equal the number of people that go to church on a single weekend. More people will be in church this Sunday than will go to all sporting events combined in an entire year. But then he says this, for many of those people, they have no idea why they attend church. So let's talk about church. Now, the church is not a place you attend. It's, it's a person that you are. Church, the word means a called out one, but we do gather together on Sundays to worship, and a lot of people don't know maybe why that is. We're going to talk about a few things about what this means in Lenten season, what the Easter message means. I want to give you some things you can do to, to help maybe heal some wounds that you might be carrying, and we'll talk about a verse that you have to understand to grab hold of what Lent and Easter in day-to-day life in Christ is all about, and we'll answer with several ways that you can understand what is important about being a part of the body of Christ. Oregon State University confirmed studies that have been done for some years that show incredibly 50%, 50%, half of all men die within two years of retirement. Half of all men die within two years of retirement. Now, why is that? One of the main reasons is because they live without a purpose. And once their job is gone, they don't know what their life is about. And many then die within two years. That shows you how important it is to know your purpose, whether retired or not, to walk daily and be able to answer, why am I a part of the body of Christ? What is my life truly about? So that you live with meaning, you live with knowing you're a part of the kingdom, being able to join with the saints and pray, kingdom come, will be done and take your role in that chain, your link to become part of bringing about the life of Christ into other people's lives and into this very world. Jack Canfield, I'm going to share something he talked about, a process, a strategy. I share a number from him, Tony Robbins, Chloe Madonna's. They've been personal mentors to me. But he talked about something interesting and answer this question, how it responds in your heart. What would you say you normally live like? He said he was about five years old. As a child, he drew a picture one night at a party when his parents were hosting some guests. 
They told him to stay in his room, gave him a pen, some paper, some markers. And in his room, he made this great picture. And he said, I got to show mom. He went out into the party, saw his mom, walked up to her. She said, why are you out of your room? He held up the picture. She said, that's a really good picture. You drew that? He said, yes. She called over to her husband. And he came over, said, why are you out of your room? She showed him the picture. He said, you drew that? He said, yes. This man said, that's a great picture. He showed it to the people at the party. Look what my son did. Very exciting. Then he went to bed. His parents, though, drank. They had some problems. And the next morning, he got up, and he said it happened different times. They were very hungover. But he thought, they love my picture. He drew another one, showed his mom. This time, she snapped at him, said, go back to your room. He went to find his dad. His dad was up to get ready for work. He had learned how to work with a hangover. Went to show him the pictures. Dad snapped at him as well. And Jack Canfield said he made a moment that decision in that moment for him was this, I can't win. And so he said for him in that moment, life became about not losing instead of how to win. And he said over counseling with other people over many years, he realized many people think life is about not losing because they're so scared about rejection or scared of what might happen if they put themselves out there. So he said a lot of people, quote, they live their life by not losing and some strategies they use. He said, they don't try or they give little effort. That way they can't be blamed if things go wrong or they'll quit if things get too hard. You don't want to get too involved or they simply don't finish and complete a project or an agreement that they had with somebody else. Or he said, a great one. You might know some people that do this. He said, a lot of people in trying not to lose in life, they simply become the problem to change people's focus off of them as the person who doesn't complete. Rather, they can say, but I have this big problem. So they have a drama, they have a story, and they get attention from that. Life, though, is not about not losing. Life is about becoming the masterpiece that God says that you are. So understanding life, it's about what is the purpose? Why are you part of the body? What does that mean for us here today? You know, if you look at perspective, perspective is something we create. If you live here in Ohio, you probably have some negative thoughts about the, the Michigan teams. If you live in Michigan, you probably have some negative thoughts about the teams in Ohio. In one state, they're heroes. In another state, they're the opponents, the enemies. These are self-created perspectives. And we need to say, I control my perspective. I can see things as they are, and I can see them from a new true north. I can see them from a new center in Christ. Now answer this simple question. Rick Warren says it. He says, from a scale of one to 10, answer, how quickly do I praise God when things go wrong? One means I get very upset. 10 means I'm very much at peace because Christ is the solid rock on which I stand. Be honest. I know my answer is not as high a number as I want it to be many, many times. You know, but how much faith do you have that you praise God when things go wrong? Are you a one? Are you a 10? Somewhere in between. It's a great way to measure your own personal maturity in Christ. We want to be at a 10. You know, that's what the disciples, they would say, as Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He said that because sometimes God uses difficulties to grow our faith. 
As Rick Warren says, he tests and builds our faith not in the easy time, but in the difficult time. And he suggests maybe you need to pray, God, increase my faith in difficult times. Or maybe pray, Father, help me to rejoice because I know you're in control and I'm not alone. But how much rejoicing do you have when things go your way? How much rejoicing do you have when things don't go your way? Sometimes God uses those challenges to help us grow. Here's something interesting, though, about time. And this is something Tom King shared, the encyclopedia of how long things take. Here's some examples, though, of how simple things in our life, how much time do they really take to complete? So he says it takes one hour, 47 minutes to watch the average movie. It takes 13 hours food preparation each week for the average American family. It takes 24 hours for plaque to colonize on your teeth. It takes eight hours, 42 minutes to complete household chores in a family with children under 12. It takes one week for bacon to lose its freshness in a refrigerator. It takes six seconds to fold a towel. It takes 10 seconds for a slinky to tumble down a flight of stairs. It takes 10 minutes for a snowflake to form. Now here's why he's sharing these. He goes on and says, it is human nature. We hate to wait. I hate to wait. Do you do this? You're driving to a red light, two cars, one in each lane. You drive up, you're figuring out which one's going to get off faster. I'm getting behind that one. Do you do that? Do you hate to wait? We hate waiting in lines. We hate to wait in traffic. We hate everything about waiting. But as he says, here is the thing. Sometimes God tests and builds our faith through delays. We're told in Genesis 18, one of the angels said to Abraham, I will surely return to you this time next year and your wife will have a son. Abraham had already waited many years to have a child and now he's told next year you will have a son. Well, Abraham believed and he held on to that faith. That's why he's the father of faith. He was able to see God is speaking to me in the delays. Sometimes God speaks to us in the challenges. Sometimes he speaks to us in the delays. Easter tells us clearly that God sometimes speaks in those delays. Between Good Friday and Sunday, there is darkness. Between Good Friday and Sunday, there is waiting, there's confusion, there's fear, there is doubt. Between... Father, unto you I commit my spirit on Friday until Sunday when the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. There's three days. There's waiting in that time of delay. Do we rejoice in the Lord always in that time of delay? Let me show you the key to all of this. One of the most important verses to understanding Easter and day-to-day life in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 14 Paul says, he has blotted out the handwriting of ordinance against us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. One of the most important things to understand about why are you a part of the body? What does it mean to be a part of the body? Knowing what this verse means. When Paul says, he blotted out the handwriting against us, nailed it to the cross, what is he talking about? In the first century, if somebody was arrested, put in prison, they would write on a piece of paper their crime and how long their sentence was. So you could walk by their cell and it might say, thief, five years. 
You go by the next cell, robber, eight years. Paul says the same thing for our sins. They have been, in a sense, written down on page after page after page. How many volumes would the average life contain of sin? But he says it's been nailed on that wall, but it's been blotted out. It's completely white. There is nothing on that page if you're in Christ. Why? Because he nailed that to a tree and you bear those sins no more. Well, here's the thing that happened if you were in prison. Once you served maybe your five years for stealing, they would take that piece of paper and they would stamp a word on that piece of paper. That word was te telestai. Te telestai. It is a courtroom word. It is also a banking word. They would stamp on your paper when you got out of prison, te telestai, and that word meant paid in full. So when you're out of prison, if somebody said, aren't you supposed to be in prison? You pull out your paper and say, no, I served my time. See, it's stamped, tay to lest I. If you owed somebody money and you paid off that debt on that receipt, same word, they would stamp, tay to lest I, paid in full. When Jesus was on the cross, John 19, he cried out, tay to lest I. We don't translate it as paid in full because it also means what he said when he cried it out. It is finished. You see, that is the answer to every question that people have. Why Christ? Why the body? Why the church? Retired? Not retired? You think life is about losing? You think life is about winning? You say, you know, what about my struggles what about these questions what about the confusion what about the fears what about the wounds the answer to all of that is take to lest die it is finished paid in full how do you have the joy complete you walk in knowing paid in full what do you do in god's delays you rejoice because you say paid in full what do you do when god uses challenges to test your faith you say Paid in full. It is finished. That is the secret of life. That is the secret of faith. That is why Jesus said, I give you joy that the world can't take away. Because when you look and you see your sins nailed to the tree, but that paper, that file is completely blank, all that weight is lifted and gone. Past sins, present sins, future sins, nailed to the tree, blotted out. Just a blank slate. Every day you wake up in the morning, what is your purpose? You can wake up and say, I'm paid in full. I can now live in that complete freedom. I can be that person that walks in the light in Christ. Doesn't mean we don't have wounds, but we bring them to the cross. And let me share a simple way that you can do that. And then we'll close in just a minute. Fascinating studies out of UCLA, studying prenatal studies to see the impact of things we say and do, how that impacts babies in the womb. What they did is they took a mother and they would measure the heartbeat of the child. They would have her read things, things like, I don't want this baby. I never wanted to have a child. I wish this didn't happen to me. And when she would read those things, the heartbeat of that baby would slow way down. They would wait an hour and they would, have, they would have her read a different page. And on this page, it would say, 
I am so blessed to have this child. I can't wait to see my baby's face. I'm going to love this child unconditionally. And when she said those things, that baby's heartbeat began to go faster and faster and faster. We don't know what wounds we carry from when we were a child. Just like Jack Canfield, he said, I learned life is I can't win no matter what I do. And he had to overcome that. So here's a simple process to say, you know what? In this time of Lent, in this time of paid in full, in this time of it is finished, it's time to handle some of those wounds. So answer these short questions. Hope you write these down and go through them in more detail, but give your kind of answer and your thoughts here as we go through them. Write them down, share them with other people. If you don't feel comfortable sharing them, you know, verbally, just write them down. Say, here's some questions. Maybe you could find some helpful things if you answer these questions and pass them along. And I'll give you some examples, but it's simply Jack Canfield, a few questions about things that we have kept hidden. Number one, what do you hide? What do you hide? What do you hide? At the seminar, two people, one said, I hide my spirituality. The second one said, I hide behind my beard. What do you hide? Second question is, who do you hide from? Who do you hide from? One person said, the people at work. The man with the beard said, everybody. Who do you hide from? Number three, what do you fear would happen if they knew? If people knew what you were hiding, what would they say? The first person said they might reject me. The man with the beard said, I look too young, I'll lose respect. As he said, you know, when I didn't shave right out of college, I was a teacher, I looked so young, people thought I was a student. So he said, I grew a beard to get some respect, to look a little bit older. But what do you fear would happen if they knew? If he shaved, he thought, I'll lose respect. Fourth question, what has hiding cost you? What's it cost you to hide? The first person said, I don't feel authentic or alive. The other man said, I've lost jobs. They said, I looked unprofessional with a beard. What's it cost you? Fifth question, what would you rather have? Rather than hiding, what would you rather have? The first person said, I want to feel alive, be true to myself. The man with the beard said, I want to be accepted with or without a beard. And then the last question, how could you get it? First person said, I could share my convictions. The man said, I could be myself and be comfortable in my own skin. But some of those wounds that maybe you've been carrying for a long time, what do you hide? Who do you hide from? What do you think in fear would happen if they knew? What's hiding costing you? What would you rather have and how could you get it? It's time to recognize it is finished, paid in full, and walk in that place of faith and strength and challenges and difficulties and delays and say, He is my life, and I can find healing in Him and at the cross. Exodus chapter 8, we close with this, a familiar place. Moses and Pharaoh have had many conversations, let my people go. No, some plagues came, things changed in Exodus chapter 8. It tells us, Aaron stretched out his hand over the water of Egypt, frogs came up. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take these frogs away, and I will let your people go. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you. And Pharaoh replied, and his reply, Exodus chapter 8, was tomorrow. It's a common response. Moses said, When do you want me to pray for you? And Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. 
Scripture tells us today is the day. People put off till tomorrow. When am I going to change my relationship? Tomorrow. When will I start a health program? Tomorrow. When will I keep my commitments? Tomorrow. We want to be uncommon people and say, you know what, today. When am I going to handle this wound? Today. When am I going to surrender to Christ and recommit and follow deeper into His life? Today. Not tomorrow. Today is the day. Rick Warren, as we close, said this. The day my son Matthew gave in to despair was the worst day of my life. I'm not the same guy I was. I am much more reflective. I am much more sympathetic. Since that day, I've often been asked, how have you made it? How have you kept going in your pain? I reply, the answer is Easter. The answer is Easter. How do you rejoice in the Lord always? It's paid in full. How do you find stronger faith when things don't go the way you thought? You just day to day, moment to moment say, paid in full. How do you rejoice in God's delays? It is full, paid in full. How do you walk in purpose, whether you're employed, retired, full-time at home? Doesn't matter, day to day. Paid in full. How do you find healing from sins and wounds and hurts and living to simply not lose? You just simply say, it is paid in full. The answer, the answer is Easter.